0: Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Job, the book of Job, right before Psalms, chapter 38. Job chapter 38. We're in a series of this fall on the attributes of God and who God is and just looking at Him and encouraging us to lift our eyes as we look at Him this morning. Job thirty-seven five says this, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, that you revealed yourself to us through it, and that we can know you. As Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us this morning, just as we begin the week together, that you would open our eyes to see you, to know you better, to be helped by your word, to be encouraged. Lord, I pray that you would be with those this morning who are just struggling physically. God, I pray you just give great grace to Karen Ransom, give peace to her family. Lord, lift up those who have lost loved ones this week. You should give grace and comfort to them. Strengthen those here who physically are not 100% or are not able to be here this morning because of that. I pray that you just give them the grace and the healing that they need. The Holy Spirit, I pray you just open up our eyes that we would love you more. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God is incomprehensible, and there is a wrong way to understand that, and there is a right way to to understand that. Have you have ever, you ever uh, got home from, and sat down to watch some TV and you, you, you started to watch something and you just, you've, you've seen it all and you just say that you're flipping through your 400 and some channels or, or, or less and you've checked out Netflix and Prime and, and, and there's just nothing to watch and you just say, uh, there, there's nothing to watch, I, I've seen it, I, I've already seen that, I've already seen that. Um, I already know what's going to happen in this story and there's a sense that it just becomes dull to us that we know what's going to happen. And that's a view of God, that God being incomprehensible that some people have. That's a wrong view of God being incomprehensible. That, that, that is where a culture of confusion exists with many people. That's how they feel about God. Just, there's, there's just nothing to watch. I, I don't really believe he's there. Um, he, he's incomprehensible. I couldn't understand him anyway. So I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live my life, and I will figure it out. And there also breeds a culture of corruption even in the church that says God is incomprehensible, we we can't understand him, uh, it's just too far out there, and so I'm not going to go by what God says, I'm going to go by what I feel. And if I don't feel like I like something that God says in his word, then I'll just change it and go my way. And it creates this culture of actually corruption. And also then there's this culture of concern that you can have, which is just, you know, what is this? Who is God and what is God? He just seems incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible, and that's a wrong way to understand him, but there is a right way to understand that God is incomprehensible. But what does it mean that God is incomprehensible, and how does it help us To know God and that he is incomprehensible. And what is it good? And why is it good for us that God is incomprehensible? This is what it means for us that God is incomprehensible. When we say that God is incomprehensible, we're not saying that God can't be known. We're saying he can't be known completely. There's a mystery to God. We can know God truly, but we can't know Him fully. We can know Him truthfully, but we can't know God utterly. God is incomprehensible. There is mystery to God, but we can know God. And we will spend, as Christians, we will spend the rest of eternity looking and discovering and finding out god and when we think we've figured him out we will find out that there's so much more to know about god that's what we're that's where we're heading that's the destination that we're going as followers of christ that we will spend the rest of eternity trying to understand and know and grow in our understanding of god there's mystery to god but why is that good for us that god is incomprehensible It's good for us because it humbles us. It humbles us. The the original sin, the the great sin with Adam and Eve in the garden, was when the the serpent Satan came to them and told them, You will be like God. Take Take the fruit, eat it, you'll be like God. And they bought it, and they fell. Because the sin is, they thought, that we could be like God, that we could become incomprehensible, that we, we could be unknown, and we just continue to know we can't be. The fact that God is incomprehensible is good for us, because it humbles us. We are not incomprehensible. People can know you. You can take a personality test, and people can kind of figure out what you're like. People who are around you long enough can know how you're going to answer things without even to ask you. God is incomprehensible. He, there's mystery to God. He, he, is, he is great beyond our full understanding, but we can know him because he chose to reveal himself to us, so it humbles us. It also comforts us because we enjoy exploring mysteries, don't we? We enjoy it. When you, when you tape a game or you watch a, you, you, you don't want anybody to tell you the score, you don't want to know what the end of the game is. And when someone tells you the score before you watch the game, you don't want to watch the game anymore. You, it's lost the mystery to it. Or if it's your birthday or Christmas and you got presents coming and you accidentally open the closet where the presents are and you see them and you find them out and you're like, oh, that's what I'm going to get. It, 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 you still like getting them, but it loses some of the mystery to it. it, it and it's comforting to us, truthfully, to, to know that there's some mystery, that there's things we don't fully yet, that we have yet to discover. This is why God being incomprehensible is good, but how does it help us to know God is incomprehensible? First, it takes the work of Christ to bring us into a right knowledge of God. This is what Romans 1 says. It took for us the work of Christ on the cross to bring you in a right knowledge of God. If you have any idea what God is like, it's because of what Christ did on the cross for you. Because the Bible says that we naturally suppress the truth about God. What God has revealed to him, we suppress that. But because of Christ, we can begin to truly know God. So it takes, this is how it helps us to know, it takes the work of Christ to bring us into a right knowledge of God. And it takes the continual working of the word into our minds and into our lives. Because our natural bent is to look at our lives, to look at your situation, and to say, how is God going to fit this into my purposes? How is God going to fit into our purposes this way? We naturally want to take our situations and turn it and say, how how can this be? Where's God in this? How can God fit it, or how can I get God to fit it my way? That's our natural desire. That's our natural bent. But we need to be humbled and we need to be comforted by the fact that God is incomprehensible. And there is no better character or no better individual in history and in Scripture that we can go to to help us see that God is incomprehensible and how it helps us. Then when you look at the book of Job and you see how God dealt with Job. Because when you read the book of Job and you hear his story, it's real life and it's raw and it's reality. Here was a follower of God going along his business. One day, all of his killed children are killed. A few minutes later, his whole business is destroyed. He then loses all his health. In one single day, It's all gone. And he goes for a little bit and he says God gives and God takes away, but it doesn't stop. The pain doesn't stop for Job. He doesn't get a timetable or when it's going to go back to normal. So it keeps going and Job gets a little bothered by that. He gets frustrated with this. His wife says to him, why are you still trusting God? Just curse God and die. And Job is frustrated, and he he got three friends that come along to him and say, Job, the reason you're in this situation is because you weren't right with God. You thought you knew God. You thought God knew you. You thought you were doing what God wanted you to do, and you didn't. And they spend weeks telling him, hey, this is your problem. This is your problem, and they were wrong. And Job gets to a point where he wonders about his own life. Why is God doing this to me? How long will this last? Why do I have to keep going in this situation? When's it going to stop? And then towards the end, most people read the first couple chapters of Job, and then we come, if you've read Job, to these last glorious chapters of Job. In the middle is these long arguments by his so-called friends who were trying to help them but were wrong and kept piling on him instead of encouraging him. But in Job chapters 38 through 41, God steps in. But right before God steps in, there's a guy named Eli, Elihu, who isn't one of Job's friends, but was in the conversation listening. And he stood up, and for about six chapters before this, said, this is who God is, Job. This is who God is. This is who God is. And then in chapter 38, God steps in to a real man going through a real situation with real struggles, who has real questions about when it's going to stop, why is it this way, wanting to know all the answers from God, and God steps in and talks to him. And when you read Job, and when you read this last section, if you see this section as this superior lashing out at this inferior, you're going to read it wrong. When you read how God responds to Job, it's like a good, kind lawyer speaking to a terrified defendant on the stand. Or even more, it's like a good father Talking to a frustrated son. And God says this to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it known to me. When God speaks to Job here, Job wants answers. He wants to know why God's doing this to him. He wants to know why his life's falling apart. He was doing everything right. He was following God. He's frustrated. He's wounded. And he wants answers. And God doesn't give him the explanation. God doesn't say to him at all, this is why I did this, Job. You didn't know what Satan wanted to do with you. God doesn't do that for Job at all. Because God, to Job and to us, is saying, don't have a wrong view of me. What matters most is the wrong answers you can give about me and the realities of life and the rawness of life. And so God comes to Job and says, dress like a man. I'm going to question you and you make it known to me. Verse 4, he starts out and he does it in three ways. Things that Job can feel, things that Job can see, and things that Job can experience. The foundation, the firmament, and flocks of creatures. All things that this hurt, struggling human being is trying to understand his life. And God says, I'm going to help you know who I am. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, who measured its measurement? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? And what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? God says, listen, Job, this is who I am. I'm going to ask you some questions. Look at the foundation. Where were you when the earth was created? Where were you when the, the deeps were done? Were you there when the cornerstone of the earth was made? Did you help design that? And then verse 8 it says, or, or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb? Joe, were you able to say, Ocean stay over here and land stay over here and put the doors on them? And verse 16. It says, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Feel the earth, Job. Where were you? You you see the top of it. But do you know what's deep in the core of it? Have you ever seen the vast expanse of the deep underworld? Were were you there? Do you you know how it operates? Because I do. People dig for things all the time. Maybe you are uh, obsessed with the curse of Oak Island, a whole TV show made out of people digging under the ground in an island to try to find treasure. And God says, how many seasons are they going to do with this? I know what's there. I can tell you exactly where everything is. Were you there? You think you can understand your life? Listen, have you entered, verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Listen, I walk in the core of the earth for, for just a hike. I, I can go in there. You, I, I walk around in the recesses of the deep. I know where everything is in the core. Where are you there? Do you understand this? And then he says, listen, look at the firmament. Just look around you, Job. And verse 19 Where is the way to the dwelling of the light, and where is the place of darkness? Do do you know where the sun and the stars go at night, where the darkness hides itself when it's bright out? Do you know where where, where these places are? Because I do, God says. Job, I I created them. I've been there. Job, he says, can you, you look at the sky in verses 31? And thirty-two, can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in, the seas, in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? God talks about the stars in the sky, the constellations, as if they're Venetian blinds. He says, "Listen, can you can you bind the chains of them? Can you can you are you the one that pulls them together and puts them away during the daytime, and then at night lets them loose and let them fly?" That's how God describes how he is with the sky. He, he, he has this unbelievable knowledge of the firmament. And then he says, look, look at the rain. Look at the snow. All these things that come from the, the, the sky and the firmament. In verse 23, it says, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, Job? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? which I have reserved for the time of trouble and for the day of battle in war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Do you know where that's at, Job? Job? Do you know where that is? The thing about God is not only does he control all of creation, know where all creation goes, keeps all creation together, he knows when to use it. It says, which I have reserved in verse 23, for the time of trouble, for the day of battle. He knows how to use his power. He knows how to use his wisdom. He knows how to use his greatness. Where were you, Job? Job? In the firmament, the things that you can see. Can you explain all this, he says to God? Can you? In verse 35, he says, Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, Here we are. God knows so much about lightning, so much about the clouds, that it's like they come up to him and, and, and it, like they're on a tracker. When lightning comes to us, we're standing around talking, boom, the thunder comes and and then we we see it and everybody's like, whoa, where did that come from? Did you see that? And you wait for it to come again and it never comes. For God, he says, this is the lightning's coming up to him and saying, hey, here we are, we're on a tracker, we're going to pop right now. And he's like, yeah, I know, I told you to. Can you do that? Can you understand me, Job, and the things that you feel and the foundations and the firmament of the earth? Can you, can you understand this? And then he says, What about the, the creatures, Job? Verse 39 Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lion? When they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket, who provides for the ravens its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food. Do you do that, Job? Do you? Do you care about anything outside of yourself where God says, I I care for the ravens, for all the animals that nobody ever sees? that humanity doesn't even know is walking around in the deeps and in the, in the ground. I'm the one providing the food for them, God says. I'm the one very carefully and very specifically taking care of them. And he spends the next two chapters speaking to Job in this way. Job, do you know? Were you there? Do you have knowledge of these things? We are to be awed by God's embrace of his incomprehensibility. A man in deep struggle, God doesn't come to him and hide the fact that he's incomprehensible. The one person who suffered more than probably anyone outside of Jesus Christ, in his deepest hurts, did not hide the fact that he was incomprehensible. He actually embraced it because he knew by embracing the fact that God is incomprehensible for Job was the best thing that he needed. And it's the best thing that we need. We need to be awed by God's embrace of his incomprehensibility. Because God was saying to Job, and he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, can you trust me that all the evidence is not in yet in your life? Can you trust me that you don't see it all? Can you trust me That there's more that I'm doing that you have no idea about? What, What was Job's response to that? People get very upset when they read Job. And they say, listen, somebody said, if I'm in pain, I don't want to know that you can build a hippopotamus. We do need to know that when we're struggling, that the God we serve can build a hippopotamus because that's what God wanted us to know. God's response to us was, I am incomprehensible, and he embraced it. He didn't shy away from it. And Job's response to that in verse 40 was, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Job's response to God was, You're, you're right. I'm going to stop talking. Be awed by God's embrace of his uncomprehensibility but then be encouraged by it, too. What's the point of knowing all this stuff about God? What's the point of looking at the character and the attributes of God if it doesn't help us practically? We need to be awed by God's incomprehensibility. He's knowable, but there's mystery. Then we need to be encouraged by it. And I got four ways, practically, hopefully, you're smart people, you can let God work on some others, but here's four ways I think that we should Be encouraged by God's incomprehensibility. When we see and know who God is and how he talked to God, we, we can be encouraged that God is mysteriously knowable and we can never find the end of God. We need to pursue God. Pursue God. What I mean by that is dive in. Get deep with God. How much longer in your life are you going to go and say, I wish I'd study God more. I wish I'd give more attention to my faith. Today could be the day where you say, you know what? God's incomprehensible. I'm going to be encouraged that I will never waste a moment trying to know God. So I can dive very deep in God. I, I can dive into the deep resources of God. I can pursue God's word, which is where I find out about God, and I can know him. Eugene Peterson, as he translated in his book, in his in his paraphrase of the Bible, the message is the end of when in Job forty-one of Job's response to God. With this, when Job said, "After all these things, I'm going to shut my mouth now. And I'm going to dive deep with you, God," he translated what Job said this way. He goes, "I will never again live on crusts or hearsay, crumbs of rumor. I'm going to. You can pursue God. You don't have to live any longer." on crusts of hearsay about God. You, can, you don't have to wait for other people to dig up things about God. You, you can search it out yourself. You can find God in His Word. You can go deep with God. And you'll have all eternity to keep going deep with God. So you say, well, I feel like everybody else knows more about God than I do. I'll never catch up. It doesn't matter. God's incomprehensible. None of us will ever know God. So you just spend the rest of eternity saying, today I'm going to go deep and just keep pursuing God. Here's why pursuing God will help you practically is because it will not only help you understand and cope with your life, but it will bring joy to your life that you don't have now in ways that you will never fully grasp now unless you do. Jonathan Edwards was one of the great pastors in America. He's one of the greatest minds that America has ever produced theologically. He was at his church for a little over some 20 years in the 1700s, and his church and the people, there was some conflicts, and they fired him. He really did nothing wrong. The chief people rose up against him. This was after the Great Awakening, Many people had come to Christ, the kind of things had died down. He's just preaching in his church in Northampton, and they fired him. And a friend who is a guy in the church named David Hall, who was watching Jonathan Edwards, who was deep in the study and the knowledge and growth in God, said this as he watched Jonathan Edwards go and get fired and have to leave he said edwards received the shock unshaken i never saw the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance the whole week before, before the whole week but he appeared like a man whose happiness was out of reach of his enemies and whose treasure was not only a future but a present good overbalancing all imaginable ills of life, even to the astonishment of many who could not be at rest without his dismission. Jonathan Edwards was going through a real struggle in his life, but his so passionate, deep faith in God gave him such joy that to look at him in his one of his worst, hardest moments, he said it was, it was like he had a happiness which was out of reach of his enemies. And the people that wanted to get him out of the church, they couldn't sleep, but Jonathan Edwards was happy. Pursue God. The second way we can be encouraged by God's incomprehensibility is to plant your trust in God. Because God is infinitely good, the things we don't know about God are only good things. Because God is good, there's no skeletons in God's closet. You're never going to get disappointed by trying to get to know God. You're going to get to get disappointed by knowing a lot of people. You can get disappointed by Christian leaders if you're not careful. and You think, well, that guy's got it, and then you start watching their life, and all of a sudden something happens in their life, and they disappoint you. And you find out skeletons. There are no skeletons in God's closet so you can place all your trust in him. God's good. He's infinitely good. So the things that you don't know about God are good things. And they'll always be for your good. Third way you could be encouraged is just to pilgrim through the ordinary. If you saw how God responded to Job, all the things that he talked about, the sky, the stars, the rain, the lightning, all these little things, animals, things that seem of no account, small things matter. Small things matter to God, just pilgrim through the ordinary. When you're going through your life, and you're like, What is the point of this? I've talked to more people in this past year dealing with their jobs with all the situations and all the changes, and they're like, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing my job. I just feel like I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm getting some money, but I just, I'm not feeling satisfied. I'm dissatisfied. So, what do you do with that? You keep pilgriming through the ordinary because God is incomprehensible and he's using that ordinary thing in your life in ways you will have no idea about. I stand here today in ministry because I washed cars for a year after Bible college. A job I hated. But God brought this one girl that I worked with who had all kinds of questions about God. And that moved me to say, I need more. I went on to seminary. An ordinary, small thing that I hated. Pilgrim through the ordinary. This week, a guy called me from church, and he said, i got to tell you this story. I'm driving to work on Tuesday. I'm driving. All of a sudden, this dog flies in front of me in the road. Huge dog. Because I pull off the side of the road, It's dark. There's a hill coming, and cars are going to fly over. The dog's standing right in the middle of the road. He's going to get hit. This person's a dog lover. He goes, I didn't know what to do. I pulled over. I got out, out, tried to go get the dog. Cars are flying by me. Another construction guy saw what was going on. He stopped. He pulled over, turned his lights on to keep everybody away. Other people were stopping, saying, you need help. I called the number for where the dog tags were. It was about a quarter mile down the road. He said, I called them. I, I took the dog over to them. They thanked me because I'm walking back to my work truck. And he said, I felt guilty. I said, that's an odd thought. He said, I felt guilty because I just spent a half hour trying to save a dog. But I haven't tried to share my faith for months. And it shook him. God is in to small, ordinary things pilgrim through the ordinary. God is incomprehensible. He can take a dog and fly it into the street to wake up one of his saints to encourage them about their faith. You're having a hard time with school, hard time with doing class at home, hard time with getting the work done. It just seems like nothing's happening. It just seems all difficult and unordinary and pointless pilgrim through the ordinary because God is incomprehensible. He is going to use it in ways we don't know. And then praise God from whom all blessings flow. Because every blessing we have, big or small, comes from this incomprehensible God. We praise Him. Praise Him for where every blessing flows. Be encouraged by God's incomprehensibility. And not only Are we to be in awe and to be encouraged but we can be blessed because God is incomprehensible? Job said at the end of all of this in verse 42, Then Job answered the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not understand. No. Here I will speak, I will question you and make it known. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And he says he despised himself. We need to be in awe of God's incomprehensibility. We need to be encouraged by God's incomprehensibility, practically, and we can be blessed that God is incomprehensible because in James chapter five it says, Behold, Thousands of years later, Christians and saints are being persecuted again. James has counted all joy when you fall into trials and persecutions. And at the end, it says, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Blessed in this, there's perseverance. He says, behold, we've, we've seen and you've seen the perseverance of Job. And the be blessed by that means not just happy. The sense is be blessed. It's, be, this is the objective state of your relationship with God. Behold, those who persevere are blessed because they are in a right relationship with God. They, they've persevered. Job persevered. He was steadfast. He questioned God. He struggled with what God was doing in his life. He was depressed by that. He was anxious by that. But he took it all to God and he persevered through it. That's what blessed him. He was in a right relationship with God. So we can be blessed as you persevere because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Because we have this perfect gift that was given to us. God's unbelievably compassionate, unbelievably merciful Two people who thought that they could be God. God didn't wipe us out. What he did was he became one of us. He became human. He took on flesh. He took and became in the person of Jesus Christ. And he took our sin, our guilt, our shame. And we are called to receive it and respond to it in faith and to live in trust and hope because we have this perfect gift, and we're blessed because of it. And the response to that, if you think about it, is praise. The response, as you sit this week and think about the greatness of God for the Christian, is the doxology. It's the only response we have. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.